painted by quarterly podcast pbq slush pile uh we have many objectives with this and most concisely we want to lift the veil on what happens between the act of submission and your receiving a response whether it's a rejection or an acceptance so we're going to try as hard as we can to replicate uh, the process of our editorial board. Paint and Bright Quarterly takes a while to respond, um, but that's because we have a democratic process and a minimum of three readers for each piece that comes in. So it takes a while. Once <laughs> something gets even a maybe, it gets brought to an editorial table, which we're going to do for you today. And um, <clears throat> so it does take us a while, but we feel like it makes our process incredibly fair to writers. Uh, we also uh, need to let you know that we have three staffs. We have a Philadelphia staff, a staff in Abu Dhabi, and a staff in New York. All three of those are comprised uh, by editors who have been with us a long time, established in their industries, and then students who come and go. We love this and mm. um, have been doing it this way for several years now. And we feel like it. Um, this makes us have the most eclectic voice that we can possibly have. And, um, and, and so we're going to replicate that as well. Every month when we hope to bring you these podcasts, um, we'll have different groups uh, chiming in and different people chiming in. So <clears throat> Marion Wren is with us today. And I'm wondering, um, Mayor, if you have anything to add to these the objective of this podcast? Um, I think the only thing I would add uh, to the demystification aim is um, a fundamental move to really celebrate uh, what makes a great poem great or a great piece of writing great. And we know by um, the years of, of this democratic editorial process that um, it's really, uh, these are idiosyncratic features, <laughs> right? So identifying what makes a poem work, what makes a piece of fiction work is um, uh, really part of this process too. Wonderful. So Marion and I um, uh, uh, have been at the helm for probably more years than would like to admit, but let's just safely <laughs> say over 20. Um, <laughs> We were babes in arms at the time, but uh, so we'll we'll do our introductions for today's podcast. Um, the person you've heard so much from right now is me, Kathleen Volkmiller. So I'm co-editor of the Paint and Bride Quarterly and director of the Drexel uh, Graduate Program in Publishing and the Drexel Publishing Group. Uh, my own writing is primarily uh, on the essay. I've been published in Salon and the New York Times and a bunch of other places, and um, so that's what I do. Um, in the room with us today is also Tim Fitz. Hey, Tim. Hi, Kathleen. So my name is Tim Fitz, and I'm a short story writer and novelist, and I teach here at Drexel. I teach first-year writing, and my short stories have appeared in journals uh, like the Gettysburg Review, Granta, the Madison Review, uh, the current issue of the Madison Review, and the Xavier Review, and magazines such as that. Terrific. 
Hi, uh, I'm Isabella Fidanza, and I'm a senior at Drexel University. So I've been an intern at the Drexel Publishing Group three times, and I've been a reader for the Painted Bride Quarterly for quite a while now. Um, really enjoy being part of the staff, and um, I've done quite a few internships in and around Philly in writing for nonprofits and also in the museum, you know, sort of field. So I'm hoping to have a career that will combine the two things that I love the most. So it's wonderful, Mayor. Um, I am Marion Wren, and I am co-editor of the Painted Bride Quarterly. Um, my essays have appeared in the journal Poetics and American Poetry Review. Um, I write scholarly essays about journalism, history, and Cold War writing programs. Um, and I am the director of the writing program at NYU and Abu Dhabi. And through the miracle of technology, that's where we're talking to her from today. <laughs> Thank you, Google Chat. Yes, Google Chat. Greetings from the Middle East. And um, I feel uh, deep empathy um, for the snow that you guys are experiencing. Um, and it's nice not to be in it. So <laughs> apologies. <laughs> well, it's gorgeous today. It's a blustery 33. Lovely. Brilliant lovely. blue sky, though, and sidewalks are clear. So we're back oh, out in the world around here. Rock on, yeah. rock on, rock yeah. on. So at a, at a regular editorial meeting, um, as I mentioned briefly, the um, submissions are read by three people. And if, even, if one, even if only one of three readers says maybe into yes or yes or anything, that, or let's discuss, that means it gets brought to the editorial table. So um, we're going to start off proceedings today by reading a poem by Leah Falk. It's called Visiting. And I'm going to read this, despite my cold. I should have said I have a cold, but you probably can tell that I have a cold. Um, okay, Leah Falk, Visiting. When her only boy first felt his throat crowd, she thought of her father's boyhood fever, which washed over his heart like an ocean over sand. Sand, maybe a window once, in a house the ocean also claimed, which is to say the body is for some a kind of furniture in hard times hauled out to the yard and split for kindling. The color of her son's hair, red. Her father's offering at the pool of cells once huddled in her abdomen. And their skin, pale, pink at cheeks and temples, a flush suggesting blood was only visiting the body. When the fever spread from throat to chest to joints, crumpling her child like rotted wood, she saw again her father close the bathroom door, heard the water soften what had gripped his heart. How else explain the rhythm of their home, irregular and buzzing like a strummed guitar the strings held down with insufficient pressure. Little clot of air between rosewood and steel. And here he was visiting again, just like she'd always wished, sitting upright in her grown boy's only body, as if it were a chair, his chair, the one he'd waited patiently for her to offer. Okay, so that's Visiting by Leah Fox. <clears throat> what do we think? Hmm. 
all these pregnant pauses. <laughs> I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in. I love um, the work that she's doing here. And for me, the, I was seduced um, by the way the transformations are sort of set up, right? Um, his throat crowds, and then she thinks of her father, and then suddenly there's this overlapping, right, of, of boy and father. And by the second stanza, you get this wonderful line, um, like an ocean over sand, period, sand, colon, maybe a window line break once, right? And it's in that mood where she just like, like tightly binds these, these overlapping things, and then she just has this like unfolding series of overlaps that that was like sort of comes to rest in a visitation right like the father appearing inside the child and this whole thing is in the mind of the speaker i just love it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and and by the fifth stanza so um visually this is uh three line stanzas with an indebted middle line and um by the fifth stanza it becomes um after at the pool of cells once huddled in her abdomen and their skin now it's a there mm -hmm. and that's how much of a unification there is between the son and the father i i mm -hmm. really that really jumped out to me as like very art artfully done i have to agree i really enjoyed reading this poem and um i think one of the things that stood out to me the most was just the the third stanza um and talking about the body being a kind of furniture and the words split for kindling um, really have a specific kind of emotion attached to them. And I actually really enjoyed how she used the furniture metaphor to sort of tie the poem yeah. up at the very end. I thought it was cleverly done. I mean, when I went through it for the first time, I was sort of thinking, where is she going with this? But I think she made it mm -hmm. work very well. Um, and being able to tie in all these things tightly together, as you were saying, um, with different kinds of metaphors, you know, nature, um, something a little bit more concrete with with a, an inanimate object I think is, is great yeah Isabella I'm, I want to jump on what you just said too because the poem does like I remember the first time I read it and heard it it really it does threaten to go on a bit right like it, it's a longish poem right and you, I find myself like fearing that she's going to lose control and rooting for her that she's going to maintain control and boy does she right like and it's as you point out like the way the poem comes to rest in this you know this this reiteration of furniture and then the sort of visitation of the father into the into the child it's it's really artfully done I, I think how she does that or one way for me that she does that is um there are the little moments throughout it for me when when i read a poem for the first or second or however many times i look for moments that either make me wince and make me feel yeah. kind of embarrassed or moments that make me feel jealous that i didn't come up with it so like the little clot of air, uh, the throat crowd, and the, at the end of the first page, a flush suggesting blood was only visiting the body. So those images I haven't seen before described that way. And I feel like they've just been sitting out there waiting to be taken, and she got them. And now I want to see what the rest of the poem's about. So I sort of find these little moments, and if, if these moments present themselves, then I let the curiosity fill in the rest of it. And so that's usually nice. how I go yeah. about it. But I like, I really like the, those moments for me, uh, make it worth it. Yeah. I hate to use such a horrible pun right now, but I, I must. I find this poem haunting. 
Yeah, I so do. When I read though. This, I have to tell you, of course you do. You love visitation. I do. Right? I do. I love you a good love haunting. That. Give me a good the haunting creepy, anytime. Eerie, wonderful, uncanniness of it all. I mean, it's like on one hand, it's a love poem, and on the other hand, it's a ghost story, right? And yeah. it's like, dang, that's an interesting combination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and at least for me, I feel like um, you know. Not only is it this sort of interesting combination between love story and ghost story, but um, sort of towards the end of the poem, and Marion, just to sort of add a little bit to what you were saying before about the possibility of the speaker kind of losing control of her direction for the poem and what she's trying to convey, um, the part where we have the guitar coming up, uh, for me at mm-hmm. least, I felt as though the speaker was hinting at her own uh, past, particularly with her relationship to her father, maybe some things that mm-hmm. had gone on in her childhood home. And yet you sort of have it and then she's able to bring it back to the present and talking to her own son, which I I felt like was good because she doesn't really quite go off on this tangent. And yet you get this hint that there's perhaps a tumultuous, you know, family relationship. And so, again, her father kind of coming to her uh, at the very end of the poem in this somewhat haunting manner, I think, makes it a a little bit more adventurous because you have that Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. hint there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, one other thing that um, isn't true to a real editorial meeting uh, is how few people we have. We can have, um, really, I think we average in Philadelphia at least 10 people at a meeting, and it can be even more. Um, So there's usually a bit more discussion, but at a certain point when we're all kind of looking at each other and grinning, it's time to (laughs) take a vote. And you're not going to see this on the radio, but I think that um, we, what we do is we do a classic one, two, three, shoot. Thumbs up and uh, thumbs well, you down. Know what? Wait, before you do that, though, there's, yeah. there's often a debate about how to do it when you're reading a batch of poems, right? Right. So are you voting on the batch? Or are you voting one on one, like one by one? Yeah. Like what's their, their strategy? Oh, excellent point. I think that the uh, final group we're doing today uh, that comes up organically but in this piece I don't see that we need to move on sometimes um, I agree with you Marion that we even get like stymied and say is there anything else from this author Mm -hmm. because we're a little bit stuck but I'm I'm feeling on this one that we're feeling like we could vote yeah yeah Yeah? so are you ready Marion how are we going to do you I don't know, man. Maybe we can, like, I can send you an emoji. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I turn my phone on. So am I. And right. you email Wait, me. Hold on. I got to figure out how to send you an emoji. All right. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. That's super funny. All right. Okay, wait. I don't want to risk We could say things, one, so. two, three emoji. <laughs> wait, I'm doing it now. Okay. Hang on. There we go. All right. Are we ready in okay. the room? When you say vote, I'm sending you an email. All right. Okay. One, One two, <laughs> three, vote. Okay. <laughs> You're going to laugh at this. So, by the way, um, Jonathan bought me a cuckoo clock. I, I hear Can it. You hear, Can you hear <laughs> I think fabulous. every home in Abu Dhabi should have a cuckoo clock. <laughs> It's a bright red cuckoo clock from Muji. And apologies, I meant to shut that off. <laughs> and also, if anybody noticed, that just cuckooed nine times. 
<laughs> ladies and gentlemen, because Marion is in our future. It's uh, Marion is calling us from the future. Um, but as far as the voting goes, we got uh, a resounding, unanimous thumbs up on that one. So yeah. that that's a that's go a special P, go Leah Falk. That is a special PBQ moment. Um, Marion said at the start that uh, how do you know what's good? Sometimes you know what's good, <laughs> and and um, I guess we did on that one. So there's no more debate, yeah. and um, and we will accept Leah Fox visiting. Um, and we now have another poem from the same poet, and it's called Islands. Who would like to read that one for us? Okay, I'll read it. Islands, Brooklyn, July 2014. We cycle toward the Verrazano Narrows through a strand of Sabbath islands. Teenage girls in black skirts go visiting like their mothers. Fridays, sirens sing at dusk, reminding us to divide our bodies from the calendar. Yesterday we woke to a video of a man Yesterday we vote to a video of a man gasping at his last rites. Mikado at a friend's gave <clears throat> Mikado at a friend's grave wrote Itu sin sombra ya how soon you are without shadow when the river dams glass bottles gather somebody mutters blessed is the fire maker holds a bouquet of wicks above his daughter frame of twilights where we built our little cottages we can't live there still the sun a stern guard before the door to dusk a girl pedals toward the rail between her and the ocean, tumbles as if out of orbit. Somebody says, happy is the one who can divide the light from darkness. White caps turn their backs on one another in the bay. Sorry for the delay of that last <laughs> line that was on a second nope. page. So this one set up with rather longer lines uh, and lots of white uh, space between each one. Each line is set up almost as long as it's almost uh, with almost as much space as its own stanza, um, and they're longer. So, so. Uh, I hate to get the conversation started on a on a more negative note, but this one doesn't grab me like the last. Um, I uh, I'm. You know, what can we say about art that hasn't been said about its subjectivity? But for me, I'm, I'm just a bit too scattered. I, I think that might be the author's intention with, with that visual of the lines standing all on their own. Uh, but it's a, it's a bit too, I'm, I'm here and I'm there and I'm here and I'm there and I'm seeing too many desperate images. Yeah, I have to agree. I felt quite conflicted uh, the first time I read this, and I still do because I do appreciate some of the language um, and enjoyed reading several of the phrases. But um, I think this is more of a, a long description. Um, and to me, uh, nothing really uh, comes together to form some kind of narrative or just the, an impression that the speaker had that was kind of coherent and pulling all the lines together. So um, kind of a pleasant read, but... Uh, not, not quite as substantial for me either. This poem for me still had those moments. It had the th uh, three moments. One was the Verrazano Narrows through a strand of Sabbath islands I really liked. And I love the, uh, the line with waking to a video of a man grasping 
are gasping at his last rites. Um, I think one one reason I like that is uh, because these days there's so many times where I don't want to see somebody dying, and I see it yeah. all the time just from some pop-up on Yahoo or some something on, on, on YouTube. I'm trying to watch something, and I get flashed with somebody falling off a building. or I get to see those, those sort of um, uh, faces of death things that I tried to avoid seeing. But we, but none of us can avoid seeing it completely these days. And so we're constantly desensitized to it. I like that, that this poem brings that image in there. And I like, uh, happy is the one who can divide the light from darkness. But the spaces between those moments kind of leaves me uh, not not so engaged and in the line in every thought being line by line um, gets a little tedious but but not uh, not annoyingly tedious just a little tedious yeah so I I'm, I'm gonna like uh, respectfully and gleefully disagree a little bit with everything <laughs> okay. so no, I go ahead I so, so I think uh, Tim and I are on the same page with that first line. Like we cycle toward the Verrazano Narrows through a strand of Sabbath islands. Like that image gets me too. Like it grabs me. And I, for me though, it it it's it is a sort of um, coded uh, reference to um, Hasidic neighborhoods or Jewish neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Um, so the Sabbath Island strikes me as a re like a sort of coded reference to particular neighborhoods. Um, that are respecting Sabbath, right? And so teenage girls in black skirts then calls to mind a very connected image of like Hasidic young women going on visits. And then Fridays, that's the sirens sing at dusk. That's a reference to, I believe, the neighborhoods that actually respect the Sabbath by blowing a siren and then you're dividing your body from the calendar. Like you're respecting the religious um, you know, sort of conventions of not working, not, um, you know, for the very orthodox, like not uh, touching, you know, sort of electricity and, you know, et cetera, right? Um, yesterday we woke to a video of a man ga gasping his last rays. That one actually threw me and I couldn't help but see, who was it? I think it was Eric Garner, like the man in Staten Island who was choked to death by the cops. Um, and I, I don't know if that's intentional by the poet or if that's a big major like like leap in my brain, but it's just what comes to me, right? And then, then the and then I could I could go on like the poem unfolds unfolds, and then when it gets to that line about um, dividing the light from darkness, like I think that's and I'm a big you know ginormous you know heretic, but and I don't know enough about the Bible, but I think that's a reference to God, right? Like He who divides the light from the darkness. And then white caps turn their backs on, on one another in the bay. You're in. You're at the Arizona Narrows. So like, it's a poem about place. It's a poem about those neighborhoods, and it's like encrusted with references to this particular culture. Well, it's it's really wonderful that you pointed all those allusions out because I actually thought um, 
as you did, um, that it had a re- sort of a religious overtone to it, but not being able to make the connections had a different impression mm-hmm. of it. So I guess now the question for me is um, kind of bringing up this idea of when you have a piece of writing, especially a poem that's so rooted in, in place and culture, but without yeah. making a specific um, kind of reference to it or like an indication for somebody who's outside of that place or culture or community, um, how, how does one kind of, I guess, like, uh, look at that from an editorial point of view? Like, what would that um, be fine? Or would that potentially give, like, a, a sort of a, a potential problem for a reader or something? So just opening yeah. up that discussion. Um, yeah. Curious your thoughts, but... Yeah. Kathy or Tim, what? what do you think about that? Like, does the poem get better with that information, or does it... Oh yeah, I think definitely. I I like it better now. Yeah. Because I had the moments already, and so when you talk about those other layers of the poems, for me it's enough to connect those, uh, those those great lines. That I I also like where the river dams, glass bottles gather. So those are four four points for me that, um, as long as they're connected, and I have uh, enough tension to get from one to the other. I mean, that's the way I read. I, I think I, I'm kind of a weird reader, but <laughs> that's how I get to these moments, and that's what I try to do when I write, is you have these yeah. flashes, and then you have to connect everything between the flashes. And I don't think it's too much of an intuitive leap to talk about the, uh, the situation uh, with the man gasping his last yeah. rites, because I think that was July 2014. Was it? When that happened. Yeah. Oh. I believe it was. Okay. Yeah, it was, this was just an interesting experience for me right now because I I was not that interested in that poem, like I said at the front. And then Tim seemed middle on that poem, and but even as he was talking, I started to look at it harder. And mm-hmm. then um, what Marion had to say really made it all connect for me. And I think that there is enough in here. What we talk a lot about at PPQ2 is is this a one-time read or would you right. linger, right? Would you linger, would you share? Do you wanna look anything up and see if it happened in July of that, you know? Um, and if there's, if any of those questions are yes, then that does mean it's something that we should keep paying attention to. So I think, Marion, you just did some powerful work. Ha ha, <laughs> special Abu Dhabi powers of distance <laughs> and persuasion. You know, I, I want to come back to what you and Isabella were saying, which is like, it, it does feel loose, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, even the way it's laid out on the page, right? Those long sort of Whitman-esque lines and the space between them, right? So like, I I do, like, it. I don't know, like that, that looseness must be working towards something. I'm not sure what, because it does feel like the motive of the poem really is a description of of time and place, right? So um, I, 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 want to acknowledge that as a potential critique of the poem but then also like put right on the table we're looking for poems to fill that um uh the locals issue mm-hmm. right and this this to me is like boom right fits right in that wheelhouse right and i don't know if the author intended to submit for locals where we stand with a page count if we need more but I would I would sort of carve this off this pile and, and earmark it for locals. Right. I'm I'm still bothered by those issues too, but I'm not sure if that's my own personal hang up or right. yeah. and I'd hate for that to be the issue. Yeah, 
to, to sort of backpedal, I think, on what I said earlier. Uh, I mean, I do, I do think that um, it has like a, a mysterious quality to it, like a, a bit mm-hmm. of an alluring mm-hmm. tone to it. So it's mm-hmm. true that you might be motivated to um, do a little research and certainly linger on this piece if you were encountering it without any context. So I do think it, it has that in its favor, uh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And and I'll think about it, guys. Oh no, it would be in two separate issues. I was going to say, think about it against the other one. It's kind of cool that they're set up so differently from one another. That does seem like you would put them in two separate issues. Yeah. Um, do you? Are you wanting to vote? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Wait. Let me let me fire up the Google again. Hold on a minute. <laughs> okay. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. Ready? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. 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 Yeah. Okay, go. One, two, three, vote. And it's in. All right. Two for two for PBQ. Um, I'm wondering if we should do a little small vote right now. We have another poem by Leah Falk, but we do have other work to discuss. How do you think? We're doing for time. Do you think we should move to another poet or do the third piece? We have like 25 right now. So Wait, we've spent 25 minutes? Yeah, 25 minutes of real time. So if hmm. we want to do the third evening, we can do the third evening. Yeah, we can do it in five minutes. Do you want to do 45 for the third piece? What, and not do and the other minutes. poems at all? Oh. The other poets? We just crank it up. I would vote for finishing out Leah Falk, yeah. and if yeah. we ha- want to put Emily or um, Clara to another conversation, because um, we were interested in extending, you know, having several conversations, um, I think that'd be great. I would, I think I would rather stay with Leah. Okay. Leah's work. Yeah, we have a lot of time in this studio. And, um, you know, uh, apologies, podcast listeners. If you're listening to this, that's really good news because it means we didn't think it was that bad and we put it in our lineup. But um, we appreciate your patience as we figure out ourselves what the heck we're doing. So, yeah. I also want to note how nice it is finding out, uh, being a reader now after years of only submitting stories from the other side, that there can be editors who aren't on board with the poem then hear uh, one of the readers pitch and can be convinced at the editor's table. It helps it seem a little uh, more hopeful <laughs> as a writer. Yeah. If you well, can win, win a, if you win a couple people, and and they believe yeah. in it, then yeah, they can change. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. happened yeah. countless well, times, almost every meeting, yeah. right, Marion? Yeah, yeah. You know, what, Tim, I swear, like that's that's the thing that you know, Kathy and I were sort of rooting rooting for with the slush pile, like. The, to be able to have a conversation around a piece of work and have your mind changed because you know people are careful readers and willing to linger. I love that word lingering too. It's like you linger in 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 the piece long enough and it opens up, right? And yeah, yeah. that's that's delightful, right? It just yeah. teaches you teaches us all to slow down a little bit. So that's kind of right. Cool. Right. I especially love it when a student is the person who brings the yeah. poem to the table, because yeah. you know often often work is dismissed at the table. And when a student finds something and then the table can turn around on it, it's pretty miraculous. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so okay then. Who would like to read uh, Commonest in Nature? One that starts with seeds with plumes and wings. I think I will take a crack at it. Wonderful. Hit it, hit it, sister. Okay. Isabella. Mm. 
Seeds with plumes and wings. Bone, mostly lime. Fresh eggs so soft they hardly hold together. Newborn babies growing old. Our bodies tiny bricks. You said, I always seem to want to make things from the thing that's commonest in nature. Then, out of air, you made a machine. What commonness you'd find if you were here. What shapes and colors would repeat and what what wild, silent rhythms. Come back. I want the worlds you would have found hiding in this one. The brain's loop and resistance. Blood, mostly water. Air and electricity. The birch in the yard. Dead parts holding living ones together. What would you make of this now? Commonest thing. Your face, still a child's. Reading. The amoeba crawls by changing shape like a drop of water down a window pane. Swimming round to me each morning like the chorus of a hymn. For me, this one doesn't have the same moments as okay. the, the other po poems did have. And it seems like there's a pattern it, with a lot of our submissions where when you get one really knockout poem, the next one's really good, and the next one is not as good. <laughs> and they keep descending. <laughs> but it, you can all, it, I like seeing it because you can see where the other poems came from. Yeah. You can see working through the same types of themes. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely true. And yet, what's interesting to me is, again, the visual that the uh, listener isn't having right now with us, um, uh, but which is something we'll need to talk about. Uh, but um, this one, mm -hmm. structure, is entirely different than the other two. Yeah, and I wish Islands was set up this way, <laughs> because I like the structure. It's like Islands, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I yeah. don't like the, the structure of Islands. I, I have to say, I loved the experience of Isabella reading it and having my eyes on the, the poem on the page, right? And I wonder as we we're thinking about this podcast, like how we could even approximate that for the listener, right? Because I know it's a completely like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's pleasure for the ears, right? To be listening to a podcast, but the duality of listening to Isabella read and then being able to see that poem unfold, right? Is, is just super cool. Um, I have to be honest with you. This was this this poem baffles me. <laughs> um, I I didn't know who Sarah Turing was, um, so I had to look her up. And um, and the like the project of the poem was a little bit baffling to me. And yet uh, there's there's stuff in there to use Tim's language like that also just like grabs me like really powerful images. Um, so Sarah Turing is um, Alan Turing's mother, I believe. Oh. Um, Right, so that whole commonist in nature thing is actually a reference to science, and the, the if it's Sarah Turing, the mother, Valen Turing, the the poem is like the average reader it might not get on first read. Right. Yeah, I mean, I actually um, was sort of getting the impression that this was at least in part a piece about. Um, the fact that everything in nature is connected and that the world sort of works on this circular pattern of things being very intricate uh, on a smaller scale as you sort of have these references to the amoeba, the way that the brain works on this very sort of zoomed in level and then we're zooming out again. Um, and I actually do like the idea of this sort of silent pining for perhaps a, a love yeah. of some kind or someone that you're affectionate about. Um, and I think, um, just the reason why, you know, the fact that this person is able to have some kind of insight and the author being able to express that, I felt was interesting. Um, but I think to me the, the weakness of the poem is perhaps 
linking all of these things together in a way that's effective um, because it feels pretty di pretty divided for me. Um, I almost felt like mm. you have these uh, kind of chunks uh, and I think the the opening of the poem with the first stanza has again um, some very interesting language but I, I don't really know if it completely does a service to the piece. I sort of think it's there and yet doesn't quite set set the reader up for what the writer is really trying to get at uh, later in the piece perhaps yeah. but yeah. Hmm. Uh, what do you guys think about that first stanza this one like the other one even though the structure is so different so in this one we have um, flush right justified Five line stanza, then a stanza break, and then another stanza that is one, two, three, four, five lines with too complicated of air between those lines for me to explain on air. Um, so I'm kind of reading them like separate unified pieces of a whole, uh, like islands, if, if, if I were to say that. And I'm really not interested in that first stanza. So I'm, I'm thinking of what the listener's experience is going to be. They might not remember it, right? So, um, Isabel, would you just reread the first stanza? Gladly. Just the first stanza. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Seeds with plumes and wings. Bone, mostly lime. Fresh eggs so soft, they hardly hold together. Newborn babies growing old. Our bodies tiny bricks. Right. So it, in a way, it's got that what feels like a compressed version of the list effect of the first poem we looked at um, by this poet. Um, but I'm also, I, I have to say, like, I'm, I remember Shanna Compton once telling me about a poem that felt like the author was clearing her voice or clearing her throat uh -huh. before the poem actually started. And this feels like throat clearing a little yes. bit. It's like, <clears throat> right? Yeah. And then Jason Schneiderman, who happened to be a reader on this poem, um, actually like made a suggestion that's very much in line with Kathy's reaction to that first stanza. He suggested doing away with that first stanza and reading the poem starting with the second stanza. Right. So, um, Isabel, you want to try that? Read the whole poem again? Yeah. Okay. Just from the second stanza. Okay. All right. You said, I always seem to want to make things from the thing that's commonest in nature. Then, out of air, you made a machine. What commonness you'd find if you were here. What shapes and colors would repeat. And at what wild, silent rhythms. Come back. I want the world you would have found hiding in this one. The brain's loop and resistance. Blood, mostly water. Air and electricity. The birch in the yard. Dead parts holding, living ones together. What would you make out of this now, commonest thing? Your face, still a child. Reading, the amoeba crawls by changing shape, like a drop of water down a window pane, swimming round to me each morning like the chorus of a hymn. And Thank now you. with that title being commonest in nature, Sarah Turing, knowing that that's Alan Turing's mother, like the, the poem completely sharpens its focus. Yeah. I yeah. think. What a great way to say it, just uh, sharpens its focus. Um, as probably Painted by Quarterly's most abrasive editor, I will say that there are often um, trigger words 
<laughs> they're a trigger. Well, I'm owning it at least, I guess. I hope that counts for something, my admissions. But she's lovingly abrasive, though. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Lovingly Amen. abrasive. That's on my bumper sticker. Um so there there are certain trigger words and uh, you know as we all know editors at literary magazines have so much to read that um there might be certain images or words that would trigger me off a piece and baby birds would be one of them for me yeah you know yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and i'm um yep and that is why i think i have an issue with that first uh, stanza yeah. And to begin yeah. with, you said, I always seem to want to make things so much more energy, so much more, right. uh, you know, passion and distillation that it changes yeah. everything for me. So yeah. so let's talk about this for a minute, PBQ editorial staff. Um, there are some magazines that uh, will uh, do editing of your work once it's submitted. Uh, PBQ has uh, long held a position that, um, even more so with poetry, send, to, send it to us when it's finished, you know? <laughs> and the poet's job is the writing of the poem. But on occasion, when an edit is, um, let's call it easy, let's call it really clear, like, can we delete that first stanza? Or your poem actually ends here, not there or this title doesn't do much for your poem, right? When things are easy, we, we have, uh, we do occasionally uh, write the editor, or, or excuse me, write the author and ask for an edit if it's clean. And um, I think I would uh, stand by that proposal on this poem. Yeah. That, uh, well, the only thing I would add add to that like description of when we intervene is also like the ginormous respect given to the author, right? Like thinking, okay, would this poet be offended, right, if we said, cut that first stanza, right? right. Is it right. so against the project of the poem, or does it, you know, like forward the poem in a really important way, right? So. I know you described yourself as, as abrasive, but I also know that you are deeply compassionate <laughs> and, and think into the project of a poem or the project of a piece of fiction, you know, is the is this suggestion in keeping with the with the vision of the piece, right? So I would just throw this out there. Thank you. I just love that everybody's defending me and my abrasiveness. That's my favorite my favorite <laughs> now, part. Now you have to perform it. Right? My favorite part of today. Um <laughs> But I do think that, that that's what I'm saying, is that that first poem w might make people dismiss it in a way that they should not, right? The first stanza. The first yeah, stanza. The first stanza. First stanza. Would. Yeah. So I would stop reading. I yeah. would stop reading. Right. You'd hit baby birds, and you'd be like, next. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all of that said, um, I think that we should write the uh, poet and, and ask her to cut off the last stanza. So I'm going to move. No, 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 the first stanza. I'm, first the stanza. First. What do I keep saying, yeah. line? The, the only thing. You said the last stanza. Oh, first, first stanza. And and I would make that move. I would uh, right now ask that vote to be with that edit. Like, Can we also, so I, but I wait, totally. wait, I want to hear from Tim. I, I, am, I yeah. totally agree. Shaving off the first stanza makes everything more focused and more interesting. It's 
But if you look at the other poems, each of those other poems have those killer lines like clot of air, pool of cells, flush suggesting blood was only visiting the body. And this poem doesn't really have any of those. Uh, which, I'll oh, for, Really? Yeah. I like the one, two, three, fourth stanza. The brain's loop and resistance. Blood, mostly water. Air and electricity. The birch in the yard. Dead parts holding living ones together. That's powerful for me. I mm. I think I would defend that first stanza for its for the impact of the not the wait I'm sorry this is really confusing the new first stanza oh. so starting the poem with you, you said, said yeah. mm -hmm. I always seem to want to make things from the thing that's commonest in nature then out of air you made a machine. Knowing that that's a reference to Alan Turing yeah. and the Turing machine, wang, like that's just like, whoop, I'm in a different universe and I'm paying attention. And I like the sort of spaciousness and the lyric quality and the way that anchors to something quite real. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what, that's that's for me. Right. But I take your point, Tim. Like, I, I'm, I kind of lean towards what you just said. Like, I know Kathy's got the lines that resonate, but um, yeah, that's I, I think what I think. If I read this, I mean, it doesn't, I don't dislike the poem, I think, but when I compare it to the other two, I mean, for yeah, me, there yeah. were those moments to re that I really liked. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll remember, I'll think about Claude Avera months from now. Because yeah. yeah. I, I just absolutely love it. Yeah. So I'm, so I just, I want more of those, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean just because I want more of them, I'm going to get it here. Right. So I, mean, I don't find any, I find a lot offensive about the first stanza. I don't find anything offensive about the next four. But you're not, a, I just, you're not as praiseworthy. Either. I just want that. I've, I just had the clot of air. Now I don't have the clot of air. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just sort of yearning. Yeah. Oops. You're yearning for the clot of air. Yeah. Um, well, let's still, let's still go for a vote. Let's vote still. Uh, right. Wait, and only if Tim promises to go home and write the poem that starts with <laughs> I'm yearning for the clot of air. <laughs> well, I just really hope this podcast goes on air because Marion said, Wang. Did you hear that? <laughs> that's, that's true. And this should, yeah, this should, you did. This should yeah, give you did. an idea of, of so how That's we my are. second favorite moment of today. <laughs> um, so let, that, let you, you start that poem, okay? Okay. Okay. That's the title. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so sometimes at meetings we do crazy stuff, like we do a few rounds of voting where we go, okay, who votes yes as is? Who votes yes with a new title? Who votes yes without that first stanza? But in the interest of time and um, and everything else, and the fact that there's less of us than normal, let's just do um, a vote on asking her to remove the stanza that begins with seeds of pins and wings, okay? All right, yeah. one, two, three, vote. I say yes to that. Okay. Wait, I'm supposed to email it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, our thumbs were already in the air, so it was still, right, it was still blind <laughs> and it all happened at the same right. time. And yeah. So go Leah Falk, three for three. Yeah. Um, I, I feel I feel really compelled to tell our audience that that never happens at a meeting. Yes, <laughs> I'm I'm personally very impressed. So yeah, mm -hmm. three yeses in a row is a wonderful ratio. Um, so, uh, 
I wonder if we should do Emily Corwin. Yeah, since the Clara Fang are long. Yeah, these are pretty quick reads, I think, in the scheme of things. Yeah. So. Okay. You guys in? All right. Mary, you haven't read yet. I hate to just throw that on you, but you want to read this no, one? No, it's fine. This is the um, Emily Corwin, Pink Girl Takes a Tumble. You got it. Yeah. All right. And so, you know, it's funny. It's like 20 years ago when we started this, Kathleen, we would remember sitting around eating hummus and then holding up individual pieces of paper and saying, the poem looks like this. Yeah. Right? So we yeah. would actually like show people what it looked like before, like, and you couldn't even see the words. You could just see the shape of the poem. And I I say that because this poem sort of like stretches out across the page. There's like some strange, wonderful, like like spacing midline. Um, and it's clear that Emily Corwin is is playing with the, the spacing on the page um, in Pink Girl Takes a Tumble. Squish, squash, she walks. She dreams of woods, trees hankering for child meat. The way is wet and terrible. What can she do? Boo spreads her mouth real big, dry lips, doesn't like water, and she crackles. Feels so crumbly she do, too gimped up, too scaredy cat, to skate across the river, bones so skinny brittle, oh fiddlesticks. She slips downhill like Jack, like Jill, curls roly-poly to the pit. She pulls the bad hip out and chews on it. Okay, before we go any further, was this submitted for Monsters? Because we yes. are doing a special themed issue called Monsters. So I think that's important to sort of yes. frame yes. as Absolutely. well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, this was okay. submitted for Monsters. So I think this poem is having so much fun with language. But I am a literal person, and I'm having a hard time determining if Pink Girl, the she, is... Little Red Riding Hood or an old witch? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure which, and I, I kind of need to know. I have a need to know on this one. Although it's, right. it's super fun. Fun times. Well, I think the pink girl is a creepy-ass character. Like, she's just both, right? Like, she's a baby doll and a vicious witch all mashed up. That's mm. what I think. Mm. But wait, can I, before we go any further, what was that YouTube meme like a million years ago? Somebody takes a tumble, like Charlotte takes a tumble. Do you guys remember this? A YouTube meme? Like it was a, a popular video and oh, it was like no. a, 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 a young woman standing on a table and she's dancing and then she falls backward and it was got a bazillion hits. I it remember that now. I didn't know it was like, called takes Char a tumble. I do Charlotte remember that. Charlotte takes a tumble. And I can't, I don't think it was. I don't know if it was Charlotte or not, but, but anyway, so that that title, Pink Girl Takes a Tumble. Makes you are, think like, of just, that. Yeah, it just calls that in mind. But that's, you know, anyway, that's a reader-based response, <laughs> not necessarily what the author's intending here. Yeah. Um, our wonderful technician, Joe, just pulled up that video yeah. for us. <laughs> nice. We love Joe. I do remember it. A woman's dancing on a coffee table, and the coffee table breaks. Um, yeah. so, but, and, is it and is I, it did, I did Charlotte not, takes a tumble? what's the name of her, Joe? Charlotte? It is Charlotte. You had Charlotte, right. I did not, I do know that video, but I did not think of it. Just, okay. you know, for whatever that's worth. Of course, everybody's okay. brain still runs yeah. different. Um, what do you guys think? 
I'm conflicted, which happens fairly often, I think. But um, <laughs> I, do, I do really, really like um, some of the language that happens here. And it is great that it's this um, sort of uh, going back and forth between the evil imagery and some the sort of sadistic quality to it. And yet, you know, cute as well. Um, I think the thing that kind of puts me off, though, is really just sort of the last the last stanza. Um, we've got the rhythm here slipping downhill like Jack, like Jill roly-poly to the pit that's fine doesn't really do much i don't think to enhance whatever's going on it's just it's really to continue the movement of the poem which is okay but then uh, and i know that the last part is really supposed to leave the reader with this question this continuous question of what is this character uh, you know are we talking about something that's literal that's metaphorical the chewing on the hip and the bone again um but i do still kind of feel like it's a little disconnected from the rest of the piece so Again, having this feeling, as you were saying, of not really quite knowing what's going on. Um, it doesn't have to have too much closure, I guess. But at the same time, uh, having read it and read it a couple of times, I'm still kind of feeling like I wish I had a bit of a better idea. So it's it's not quite sitting as well with me as I would like, I mm -hmm. guess. I kind of like the image of uh, pulling out the bad hip and chewing on it. But I kind of also felt like about halfway through the poem, I was gonna read Jack and Jill somewhere. And when Jack and Jill oh. showed up, <laughs> I was kind of turned off. Oh dear. Mm, you didn't want to predict it. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. So I wasn't so enthusiastic. I mean, I like hankering for child me. These things that kind of stick they out, they kind of creep you out. Yeah. You know, those are nice creepy images. But, but um, pops out like a bad hip. I get it, Isabella. I think <laughs> trying, trying to vocalize it is sort of hard, but I guess um, ha having read some interesting takes on fairy tales that uh, especially put this very deliberately creepy tone on top of a traditional story and have a way of reworking it, like I can see that that's a theme that's running through this, but I don't feel like it's quite it's quite as polished as that you could necessarily take that away, you know? So I'm yeah. sort of, I'm not really quite sure what I'm comparing it to in my mind, but I'm feeling like it's reaching for this standard and it's kind of getting there, but it's not quite there. Um, I, I just read, um, was it Michael Cunningham? The, the, I think it's called The Wild, or The Swan Swing or The Wild Swan or something like that. And it was his, his uh, like reinvention or his take on fairy tales, right? Like mm -hmm. the Hans Christian Andersen stuff and mm -hmm. fables and, so it's a very sort of like like grown up approach to stuff like you know Hansel and Gretel, right? Um, but I, Isabel, I take your point. Like this doesn't go there, right? Like the pink girl does not map onto the witch in the in the in the candy house, right? Like that doesn't. It's it's not a one to one correspondent. Like she's she's some new thing that like goes back to Kathy's point. Like is she is she a witch or not? Like what it, what is what is she is, what is, she? is not clear. Yeah, you know. So uh, this is a group, and this is a kind of poem where I would definitely say, is there more from this author? Is this part right. of a series? Mm -hmm. Because it is um, fresh enough, and we don't often get child me. That's true. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some interesting so, pieces go through the table no, in our right, time. Right, yeah. right. Um, not so, often. You know not before, often. Before we ditch, we, we go to the next poem in this batch, though, I, I did want to just say, if you'd simply just look at the words on that page and, and what the poet's doing with, um, like, vowel sounds and, like, double letters, right? Like, in the first line, she's got the S-Q-U of squish and squash, 
-hmm. right? And then that gets picked up with a sh of she, right? And mm -hmm. then in the next line, you start to see the double O of woods. And if you just trace your eye down the poem, you can count one, two, three, four, five, like five instances of these double O's double well um, orchestrated and uh, like a real play with, with language. And especially like she slips downhill like Jack and Jill curls roly poly to the pit. She pulls the bad hip out and she's on it, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, boy, is she playing with, with repetition, alliteration, you know, assonance, consonance, the whole nine, right? Like, and it's really visual. So well, I just the, wanted to say that before we moved on. The rhythm well, is great. That's true. I mean, I, I'll concur with you on that for sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly why I'm saying I would want to see the next poem because yeah. what she's doing yeah. with language is so much fun that even though Can I don't read the next one too, I don't know. <laughs> right. Even though I don't know what the heck is happening, I absolutely <laughs> want to spend more time with this author, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so do you really want to read the next one too? I, I do. I do. Oh, it's, go it's ahead. I do. Short, I do. Right? You're getting right do, into I... this poem, aren't you? <laughs> so this one is called Thwack. T-H-W-A-C-K, Thwack by Emily Corwin. Leg buckles and boom, down she goes into snow powder, good for packing. She tucks and rolls like a cold boulder glob, crashes to his windowsill, ferocious little she, hunger-filled, her mouth frothing like half-starved pack of wolves, all teeth and velvet. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and see. And see. <laughs> um, that's a continuation of the first one for me, and therefore mm -hmm. I dig it. Nice. I like tucks and rolls, and I love ferocious little she. Mm -hmm. Is there an uh, missing, like a, an article, like a half starved pack of wolves? That was bothering was me that, as a two. I wasn't yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not if sure it was either. deliberate or she, not. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, like half-starved pack of wolves, and she doesn't do stuff like that anywhere else. Losing a preposition, but yeah, yeah. or I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. So, but um, listen, seriously, don't we want thwack on our table of contents? <laughs> I said wang, so definitely, I'm an advocate of thwack. <laughs> thwack. I just love the yeah. idea of looking down the list of poem titles and seeing thwack. No, I'm kidding, but not kidding. <laughs> you too? I'm not as crazy about these these poems, but mm -hmm. um, I'm not crazy about, like little moments like Half-Starved Pack of Wolves for me is not so interesting, but I do like All right. Teeth and Velvet. I mean, mm -hmm. that's something that right? definitely redeems um, How do you feel about a cold boulder glob? I think the language is quite he heavy there. For me, that was a definite weak point in the poem. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to, I wanted to sort of skip over that because the rest of the language is much sharper. And I also have to agree with Tim that I think it's not for me. It's not quite as vibrant as the previous poem. Half star pack of wolves rhythmically works, but is not. The rest of the imagery is all quite unique, like a little bit quirky. And I think that that's kind of veering into the territory of like cliched a little fairy tale if you're kind of going for that but m m more uh more bothersome for me was pole cold boulder glob because i kind of feel like you just blah, and you stop there and it disrupts the flow and again because 
people can't see the way the poem is set up on the page here like we can it does sort of have the structure that the words are almost falling down the page a bit like a waterfall or a hill or mm -hmm. something you could be sledding on and it sort of just sits in the middle there for a minute so maybe not such an issue for some people but i do feel like it was a bit of a weight on the the rhythm of this piece yeah. and i i want to jump on that too because there's something like logically fatuts there right so it's a cold boulder glob crashes to his windowsill and when i when i spoke his i'm like wait who he there's a he who's his like is the right like what's the what's that what? yeah we don't who's we he? don't quite <laughs> know right yeah, and I, so unless it's personifying the cold boulder glob as like a dude, right? But yeah. it doesn't make any sense. That that defies sense for me. So I'm glad to know that I'm not completely alone in that. I I, I move uh, that we read the other two too. Yeah, and then yep. vote on all the four as a as all a group. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll stop hogging the microphone. So somebody else want to read Emily Corwin? It's super fun. I, I'll do. I'll do. Out like a lamb. Out like a lamb, into the carrot patch, into the April pussy willow wildness. She makes a mud cake, shakes her pretty rhododendron hips and dips into the dirt-clawed smooshy. She <laughs> sinks and sags, a screaming seed into the planet rock. Oh, how it eats. It leaves the bone. She comes up pushing daisies. I think this one is very memorable. Um, you know, the first time I read it, I think I didn't quite absorb it as well. And then I read it again. And this idea of, um, so I don't know, sort of a bit of a, a twist on the, the natural processes that happen around us and then sort of taking a perspective on how, how does something feel, you know, a screaming seed and not really wanting to, um, to grow or to go back into the earth or, or whatever. Um, I don't know, I think it's just a very unusual perspective and I really appreciated that. And I actually like the um, kind of play on words with the title too, you know, spring coming in like or out in like a, a lamb and out like a lion or whatever that, that phrase goes. So mm -hmm. I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the dirt clod smooshy kind of hung, hung me up a little bit again, like the cold <laughs> boulder blob because it was going so well, um, but that could just be me. So I don't want to, uh, you know. The moments that stop you are the moments I love. <sighs> if it if it right. smoothly or something, I don't know. But. Did did anybody get hung up on the planet rock, right? Like, or is it just me, a child of the '80s, that immediately started singing rock, rock, planet rock, don't stop? <laughs> Do you remember that song? Yes. Like, I haven't seen Planet Rock in a really long time, and it's a great, great hip hop song from the '80s that is worth acknowledging because it's just worth acknowledging. But that has nothing to do with this poem. But when you use that phrase, that happens to the person's head. In a bad way. Not, I don't know if it's a bad way, right? Because it is the stanza after Dirt Clod Smooshy. And mm -hmm. it's weird, right? And Screaming Seed. Like, I'm so distracted by it. She sinks and sags a screaming seed into the planet rock. And then mm -hmm. I have this thing happen in my head that references hip hop. And then, oh, how it eats, it leaves the bone. She comes up pushing daisies. So Planet Rock and Pushing Daisies, to me, are the moments where it's like you, you kind of risk a strangeness that verges on cliche. But I think, as Isabella pointed out, like out like a lamb is already flipping the cliche. 
Uh-huh. Right? I, I really do understand where you're coming from, Marianne. And normally a phrase like pushing up daisies would really make me cringe so hard. But I, th- <laughs> I think um, for me, the reason why it works in this context um, is because we do have this almost like viciousness to to nature mm-hmm. or whatever that's coming out here. And this sort of idea of uh, the bones being like spit out and the pushing up daisies to me, it has a bit of like a sarcastic flair to it, you know, yeah. which which I think if it didn't have, then it really wouldn't work. Um, so that's just something to throw in the in the pile there. Well, you just won me over because you kept saying <laughs> pushing up daisies because pushing up daisies is actually the phrase and she's got it. She comes up pushing daisies. Yeah. So yeah. it's birth and death smushed together. Right, like it's an it's the same kind of smushy inversion as out like a lamb. So she comes up like a birth, pushing daisies, which is the death. Right, because if you're pushing daisies, you're in the ground. I, you guys are making me feel like a big dummy because that was the line that did make me cringe. She comes up pushing <laughs> daisies, and to end on that was like so bad yeah. for me. I uh, and I'm and I'm, I'm digging this group in a general way. I'm yeah. digging the group. Yeah. That I wasn't digging this one. Yeah, pushing daisies yeah. had the opposite effect for me as the velvet teeth, all teeth and velvet. Yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can understand that, Tim. And, so, and, and I, so in a, you don't dig it. I don't dig it. Yeah. But I didn't really get there because Dirt Cloud Smushy kind of knocked me across <laughs> <out>. <laughs> Dirt clad smushy with the boulder. But uh, by the but third poem. But rhododendron hips. <laughs> I like the rhododendron hips, but also... It's clear to me that this this uh, type of poem or this type of poetry is somebody's thing or it's not their thing. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying I don't I don't think it's bad. It's just not yeah. my thing. And when I hit dirt clod yeah. smushy, then I kind of tap out. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Tap <laughs> out. <laughs> that's awesome. I love this. How we how, Call how the ref. everybody's Call the opinion ref. is so different, right? We're a diverse, group. right? We we, we have um, yeah. one more by Emily Corwin, so I think we should do that and then and then see what we think of one, two, three, and four. Who's going? All right. All right. <clears throat> Sprinkle her with fruit punch, sugar powder, glitter glue. She's tickled pink. She's sitting real pretty, all the way to the crushed velvet coffin box. Girl with broken armholes. Girl with a heart splattered. Strawberry pulp. Mushy under her blouse. Good night, pink girl. Go back into crinoline, into creepy crawlies, your nose smothered with a calla lily. The bedbugs want a bite. Well, we're not supposed to have dead air on a podcast, so uh, <laughs> you've left me with no choice but to say <coughs> I'm the coldest on this one. I am as well. Um, the... The beginning is a little like, a little flirty almost, or you know, uh, playful, and so I it sort I think it sort of set me up for this like, uh, even the crushed velvet coffin box. I was kind of like waiting to see what would happen, but I think the rest of it just um, went a bit the way of what I was expecting here. We're talking about death, we're talking about creepy crawlies, and it's it lost the edge yeah. of the sharpness for me because there was nothing, um, kind of like playful or sassy about it in the way that the rest of the tone had sort of been so i it kind of just didn't do that much for me unfortunately which is too bad I because the word sassy yeah i was just thinking that what a great word i mean you have fruit punch sugar powder and glitter glue all together so that's right uh, that's pretty know. special right? that's pretty sassy 
Oh, sorry, Tim, I interrupted you. No, which, which is too bad because I like strawberry pulp bushy under her blouse. I do actually like that phrase. And so I wish <laughs> but, there was yeah. more before and after that could... Tim, it's interesting that mushy <laughs> is appealing to you, but mushy <laughs> is not. Yeah, it's funny how it works that, that way, isn't it? <laughs> That's why I tell my students, it's just sometimes just yeah, one letter. I have to agree. I think, I think that of the, of the four, this one doesn't... Um, surprise me in the ways that the other ones did right yeah. um, and I don't I don't linger with it and to use a word from earlier it doesn't I'm, I don't feel st like it's not sticky yeah. which you think it would be with glitter glue well you know for me the bed bugs want to bite is such a barumpa in yes. a bad way yes. and and uh. that's how I got that she comes up pushing daisies too is brump even yeah. though I understand what Isabel is saying about the sarcasm on that one that was her intention but for me it still goes brump yeah. so yeah. you know I'll just I'll just get the party started by saying that I would <coughs> go for pink girl takes a tumble and thwack one and two of of this group um, I, I'm going to jump in and say that I actually think this this pile does exactly what Tim described, like a couple about a, you know ten minutes ago. That some um, of the work that we look at has that impact of descending, right? Like it's the, the great stuff is up front, and then by the time we get to the end of the pile, they're not as um, resonant or robust or, or weird in a good way. So I'm with you, Kathleen. I kind of think the first two have my attention, despite the confusions of, of pink girl takes a tumble I'm, I'm like happily um i think it's cryptic and weird enough to sustain my attention um and ditto with whack all teeth and velvet so we're gonna yeah. vote should, should we vote on the uh well why don't you tell us in a general way like if you had to pick out of here Maybe, you know, well, like, if I how had, they... Like, would you? If I, yeah. I, if I had to pick, um, I will, like, I get fixated, as I mentioned, on these moments. And um, uh, I feel like if these are in a journal, they're ones that I wouldn't read more than once. Mm -hmm. um, but I can see other people. Um, I understand the fascination of looking at the patterns of, the, of what's happening within the language. Um, so I would go for those moments where they have uh, those images like All Teeth and Velvet, Thwack, um, and uh, probably not Out Like a Lamb because this, there's not enough surrounding, uh, there's not enough for me following rhododendron hips. So I would say the first two. Um, I, I'm not, I'm totally not into any Thing, fairy tale slash uh, uh, Aesop's fables, mm -hmm. uh, all, all that redoing, all that stuff. But I understand that some people are into it, and I wouldn't want that hang up to to keep somebody's work out of the magazine because sure. we got to have a wide variation of, of works. Sure. Um, and, mm -hmm. and and of course, reading some last I think the end of the fall in the early winter. There was just terrible dry spell of just not finding anything in the slush pile that was was worth getting past the first couple lines, and I it, and so when I see this, I see this is working on a totally different level. Yeah, yeah. I would say yeah. the, the first two are definitely worth the discussion. Yeah, wonderful. Tim, I wanna I wanna jump in and say um, that this pile or this this batch of poems 
if I'm not mistaken, we they were read by editors in Abu Dhabi, and we went on break in December and didn't have an editorial meeting, mm. you know, uh, through December and January. So we pushed it um, into this conversation so we could get a vote. And it's primarily because of what you just said. Like, it really cut through the pile. Like, it, yeah. it, it ha- enough of the editors here wanted to talk about it, and I was like, busted that we weren't meeting again uh-huh. um, and really wanted to push the conversation because we're trying to get the monsters issue filled. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was part of this too. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's yeah. Clearly it did that. Yeah. It gets, gets through the, uh, the heat. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm coming at it more from Tim's vantage point. Um, I do appreciate the first poem for sure a lot, uh, despite some of my personal hangups with it. I don't feel as strongly about Thwack, but I also feel like it has that lingering quality that we were discussing earlier, and I can see people wanting to revisit it. And enough of those um, phrases, like Teeth and Velvet, obviously, which we've said a lot, has popped out for the last two. Um, they're just not um, they're not as interesting for me. Um, I really do think that you would skim over them more than the others, so I am, I'm a yes for the first two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that takes care of the vote as well, guys. So we'll we'll go oh, yeah. with we'll go with Pink Girl Takes a Tumble and Thwack. Um But thank- with an edit on Thwack though? Like on the is like a half star heckle like I uh, would ask the yeah, author. If she if she meant yeah. to have an A there. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. um Emily Corwin, Pink Girl Takes a Tumble and Thwack. Thank you, Emily Corwin, for something fresh yeah. and exciting that stopped us in the dead of winter. Um, we really appreciate that. Um, I think that we should wrap it up for today. And, um, yeah, I think it went pretty well. What do you guys think? Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. Hang out. We can deconstruct it. Oh my God. I'm so happy to meet you too, Isabella. And and Julie, over the distances, actually have a conversation with you and meet you both. This this was great. We heard a lot about you, Marion. So it was great to discuss something with you. Oh, yeah. Yay. 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 All right. Thanks, everybody. This has been Painted Pride Quarterly Slush Pile, uh, brought to you by Drexel's Graduate Program in Publishing with partnership from NYU in Abu Dhabi.